This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tech Girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Monday, January 7th, 2019. We're at CS. It's the end of press day, which is day zero the day before day one, the day before the beginning of CS. And my guest is Paul Spain of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm great, Miriam. It's good to be catching up again and uh, great to be at CS. Yes, indeed. So uh, we're pretty exhausted. End of day on Monday night. Uh, there's a lot going on right now in terms of, uh, of, of stuff with the media. We've seen a bunch of things, but tomorrow is when it really begins. So let's let's maybe start on what we've seen, and then we can talk about what we what we expect for the rest of the week. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So what 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 what's been jumping out for you? Well, I kind of made a list that's more or less chronological for me of the things that I got to see as you know uh, the the press stuff developed. It started Saturday night for me, and I actually got a briefing with Alcatel. Uh, whose parent company is TCL, who makes televisions, but Alcatel also makes. Um, phones and so TCL has kind of sub brands Alcatel being one of them uh, BlackBerry is the other one that a lot of people know right uh, they make the the BlackBerry keyboard phones and they've been very very popular so Alcatel it doesn't launch you know much in terms of like high-end products but they do some really interesting mid-range and low-range phones and they have one called the Alcatel 1x that they showed me and by the time you hear this podcast, the embargo will be over on that. Um, and what was really cool, this is about a $120 phone or so, right? But if you hold it and you touch and you see the specs, it feels nice. And TCL makes custom displays for because they make televisions for Alcatel. And the end result is a beautiful display at $120. And, uh, you know, it's 18 by 9, very few bezels. Uh, it's a plastic shell because it's a cheap phone, but it doesn't feel too cheap. Like it's a nice matte finish in the back. And I mean, I don't remember the, the specs. It's some sort of MediaTek processor with some nominal two or three gigs of RAM and, and you know, like some nominal camera in the back. But it's a dual camera. And I mean, we're talking about a phone that the previous Alcatel one a year ago for the same price was very mad, like very, I would not recommend it. I would not want it. This felt like, oh, wow, okay, this is a phone that wouldn't be horrible to have for that price point. So that's kind of what I got excited about because, you know, not everybody can spend even one plus 16 money on a phone, right? That's 500 US dollars, 600 US dollars. You know, obviously not everybody can spend $1,100 on an iPhone or whatever it is now. But the point is that, there should be phones for everyone. I'm a big believer in connecting the world. I want everyone to get online somehow, to have access to the vast amount of information. We, we all need to be addicted exactly. to our devices. Exactly. And, and so we can't do that without we a We can't device. do that unless it's $120 <laughs> and it's half decent. So thanks to Alcatel for doing that. That's basically where I wanted to start. Yeah, no, it's good. I've um, I've had a, a few catch ups with uh, with with Alcatel, um, TCL, and in, in New Zealand because they distribute their you know their product pretty pretty broadly. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I mean from what I've seen so far, they uh, they you know generally seem to be making reasonable devices for the for the price points they're coming in at. Haven't seen the new One X yet, so that's going to be interesting to uh, to get some hands on time with. Yeah, I mean in terms of uh, like U.S. market sh- 
you know, positioning. Their big challenger here is um, Motorola, Moto. Moto has, is a well-established brand in the US, even though it's owned by Lenovo now. And they make some really good low-end to mid-range phones, at least for the US market, like the E-Series from Moto. And then there's, on the other side of the fence, uh, you've got Honor, which is the only way Huawei can get into the US, uh, other than their laptops, which are pretty popular in the US, actually. They got really great reviews over the last two years with their laptops, Huawei. But Huawei's brand Honor is available in the US in the mid-range, lower-range-ish. Through, through the carriers? No, 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 through Unlocked. Okay. And it... I would say gives Alcatel a run for the money. I mean, maybe not in the $120 range, but in that $200 range, they're making phones that are all metal and glass sandwiches, like really refined looking, something that looks like a $500 phone, but costs $200. And Alcatel can't quite get to that. Like you can tell they're struggling to meet those same price point, but they, they're using plastics instead of metal. And, you know, some people are going to say plastics are better. And I, I, and I get that. That's not what I'm discussing here. What I'm trying to say is like trying to achieve flagship grade of materials and build quality at a lower price point. I think uh, Honor and Moto are in a better place for that than Alcatel. But purely spec wise, you know, I think those Alcatel phones look interesting. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, so we talked about Huawei and in, in Honor. So maybe I want to jump forward to talk about the get the Huawei MateBook 13 discussed. I don't know if you're very familiar with their their line of light laptops. Yeah, look, the, the thing I found I find curious about Huawei laptops is I had a visit to Huawei uh, yeah, HQ. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I guess, interacted with other people from uh, Huawei over, over recent years. The thing that stood out to me is I haven't seen many of their staff using them. Interesting, because what, what has been your I experience? Mean, for, I can tell you for USPR, the USPR team, internal PR, does use them quite extensively. They always have them out. Um, and I'll be frank, of all the Windows 10 laptops I have, my Huawei MateBook 10 Pro, or X, it should be X, they don't say 10. MateBook X Pro, which I have, is a powerhouse. I mean, for the money, around $1,500, you know, it's it's really packed in terms of specs. But it's still the same form factor as like a 15-inch MacBook. So it's super light, super thin. Um, it's basically a, a purely designed as a MacBook Pro 15 competitor. Uh, now, the, the the laptop we're talking about today that was announced at CS is not that laptop. But I'm just saying that The Verge gave the MateBook X Pro such great review, such a great review that I think a lot of people were very intrigued. If they didn't buy one, maybe they didn't buy one, but they were definitely intrigued. I've had a lot of people, like, if you ask the general journalist here in North, North America, like, I want to buy a Windows 10 laptop. I have this budget. What would you buy? I can almost guarantee you that for 2018, the answer was at least probably four out of five times MateBook X Pro. Just surprising, right? I mean, they came out of nowhere. The previous laptop, the MateBook S uh, or X, sorry, was um, like a MacBook 12-inch competitor, super light, super thin, but it was a little short in performance. It was beautifully made. Materials and build quality were top-notch. 
uh, you know, very much like Zen books from uh, from Asus, which we're going to talk about in a second. But I think that they never really quite hit it with the first one. But the second one as a MacBook Pro competitor was the top. So this is like their third product. This is more like a MacBook 13 competitor, but the le- the entry level non touch bar version of it. Mm. So it's called the the MateBook 13 from Huawei and it's priced the most accessible of their laptops so far in the MateBook series, but it is in terms of power in between the super ultralight one they first introduced, the X, and then the X Pro, which is like a monster. So, um, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting because I'll be getting one in about a week to unbox and to to review, so I'm really kind of curious how it's going to pan out. Yeah, look, I've been curious about the the most recent MateBooks because they do look really good. The build quality, you know, seems to be up there. Price-wise, they're, you know, a lot lower than, you know, buying something like a MacBook uh, or a Surface product. There's a, you know, pretty big discount there. So, um, yeah, yeah that, I that's mean, why I'm curious. They, they, yeah. You know, they don't seem to have um, necessarily the, the same level of, of warranties and, and those sorts of, uh, you know, options for those that are wanting to get, put them in a business environment. Oh, yeah, that's a different story for sure. So, on, yeah, right? so yeah. there are definitely some things that you miss out from there, but in terms of just, just looking simply at the product, um, looks really good. Yeah, I mean, the, the I can't speak of the pricing of the new MateBook 13. I don't think that's quite been announced, but the MateBook X Pro was, you know, the one I have is a Core i5, uh, with discrete graphics and like 16 gigs of RAM and like a big SSD and it's got a beautiful for you know like 2K display I think and it's a really nice display and you know it's got this touch on the screen as well really great quality keyboard and trackpad all you know all unibody all aluminum and we're looking at and you know the discrete graphics is really the thing on that and we're looking at like 1500 1400 so more in line with an entry-level MacBook Pro, yeah, but for a 15-inch, yeah, and and it's got so little bezel. And we'll, again, we're going to talk about this with Asus in a second. But uh, at the time the MateBook 10 Pro was released last year, it had the thinnest bezels of any laptop. That's right. Something like 95% body-to-screen ratio, and because of that, they put the camera in one of the function keys. That's right. Like it was quite you pushed unusual, it in, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so again, we know we keep talking about last year's laptop. So the MateBook. 13 does not have the camera like that it still has a very thin bezel but they've mounted the camera in the right place and it's just overall a very thin and sexy macbook pro 13 entry-level competitor basically mm-hmm. that's the impression i get from what i saw and yeah with. yeah it, it certainly looks uh looks really really slick and i imagine performance wise it's going to uh, it's going to stack yeah. up but it's going to stack up pretty absolutely well. yeah yeah. So, how much I, have you played with the Asus Zen books over the years? Um, oh, bit, bits and pieces. I've certainly, you know, been at a num- number of their launches in uh, Taipei, uh, in the US, and um, yeah, I, I guess what you know, most of the experience I've had has been with their lower end devices that haven't haven't been so that, the Vivo books haven't been that great. Um, but the, yeah, the, the, the higher end products seem to be, uh, seem to be rather nice. Yeah. So the Zen books are interesting because I got, uh, the previous Gen Z book S from last, from Computex last year. So June, May, June timeframe from 2018. And, you know, they have this really cool ergo hinge design where 
that when you open the lid, the 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 you know the keyboard, like the the bottom half of the laptop, raises itself as the lid gets open, kind of like give you that kind of ergo, and they call it ergo lift because exactly what it does. But the hinge does not seem compromised in terms of rigidity and strength because of it. So this wasn't the one I reviewed at Computex wasn't the first they did that way. But that design is basically, they're really sticking with it. They're putting in everything. And um, at the time, the one I had was a 4K display and it was incredible. Like the, the amount of pixels on that laptop was Wow, to, like you could see it right away. But honestly, I didn't feel that the keyboard and the trackpad matched what we have on a MacBook. Although the keyboard on the MacBook is very controversial, I personally feel it's great. I'm very used to it now. Three years on a 12-inch MacBook and I'm fine. It, it didn't take me long, honestly. I didn't have any complaints. Um, yeah, I certainly I don't have any issues with the MacBook keyboard these mm -hmm. days. Uh, you know, personally, certainly on the, the latest uh, generation MacBook Pro, seem, you know, seems to be fine. It's, you know, nicely lit. Um, maybe a little bit, little bit noisy at I times. I do feel that it could be deeper, less. It's a bit shallow. And like, if I have to pick the best laptop keyboards I've used in the last year and a half or so, my number one is the Pixelbook from Google. Like, I love the amount. It's the best. Like, it does not too noisy. It's got great tactile feedback. It's got enough key travel. And it's not trying to be gimmicky by having round keys like the, the 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 pixel slate or anything like that. And then I would honestly say my second choice is again we talked about the Huawei, the MateBook Ten or MateBook X Pro, that that fifteen inch MacBook Pro competitor. That keyboard is so good. And and this is where I feel ASUS never quite hits the mark on the ZenBooks, even at the high end, is because they make them really thin, which is great. But somehow the the strength of the they flex more than other laptops like the Macs. Or, and Huawei, I think, was benchmarking the Mac really hard when they designed their laptop. Whereas then uh, Asus is just kind of doing their own thing, you know. And honestly, a fingerprint reader is a really great thing on a laptop. But having it in the trackpad in the corner like the Asus do, like it just takes up away. It takes away from your trackpad real estate. Yeah. And yeah. It it's, makes so much more sense to have it on the power button. Or on a separate button. So on the Huawei, it's on the power button. On the Mac, as we know, the, the older MacBook with touch bar, it's on the touch bar. But the new MacBook Air has it. I think it's the best the best mm. setup. It's mm. got it right on the power button mm. where I think it should be. And obviously, you know, Windows Hello on Windows 10 solves a lot of that because you can use cameras. And I can't wait to see a Mac that has Face ID for that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Now, just jumping back to keyboards, I don't know whether you saw it uh, yesterday, but at the CES Unveiled event, there was a keyboard on display there. I tried it out. And it's a company, I can't, can't remember what they're called, but uh, they're using an e paper display inside the keyboard uh -huh. so you can basically personalize what right, comes right. up on every single key so you can uh you know do do your shortcuts and you know um varying bits and bits and pieces of customization you know you can flick it between say having a windows key uh and a command key if you use it between a mac and windows and you know so on so that was quite interesting not not a great keyboard from a keyboard uh perspective you basically had see-through keys uh, so that you could right. see what was on the display underneath and it was quite well lit 
Um, but I haven't, and so, I mean, there have been varying products down that track before, but yeah, yeah. This, this was this. I was missed a, a that one. one, and it's interesting because there's been a number of them. There was this Russian company that made a keyboard that every individual key had an OLED display. This is at least five, six years ago now, when I was a selling gadget, right? We covered it extensively at the time, and it, it kind of, they made a keyboard, and it was really expensive, and, and it disappeared. Well, this um, keyboard looked. It sounded like it was going to be five hundred US, so not a not a low cost keyboard. Yeah, this Russian thing was a thousand US back then, and it was cool and it worked. But like you know, since then, Razer showed a prototype at CES a few years ago of like this tiny mini laptop mm -hmm. that had um, an OLED display behind each key, and I thought their implementation was way better done. They never shipped it. Like I think Razer is the the biggest company to tease stuff at CES and never make it real. <laughs> That's what they do. And um, well, there's always a lot of that at CES, though, isn't there? That's you know the, the things that we're talk we're talking about now are mostly sort of at the real end, but there are always so many things at, at CES that uh, uh, <coughs> either you know don't add up. I saw uh, so, uh, you know someone on Twitter today has massive following, and he was tweeting a video, and uh, it was a video I think from CES last year to do with um, power broadcasting and charging your, your phone while it's maybe sitting, you know, sitting next to you from something in the ceiling that's going to go and, right. and, and charge your phone. And yeah, yeah, there were, there were all sorts of challenges with, with the, with the demonstration. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess it was, it was an example that we definitely see things that are overhyped or a vaporware and will, you know, never ever be released. Uh, at CES every year, but that's that's part of the fun. Seeing what people are dreaming of, you know, some of what we see, I guess you could say, it's science fiction uh, to a degree. It's funny because I just think the Razor is really good at doing that. Like they're just actually always like showing some stuff, and they're like, just make it, like just build it. Like it's really cool. Why are you just like showing this to us and not like? I guess they're gauging interest or something. But anyway, um, going back to. You know, rolling, unrolling everything back from keyboards to to the back to the uh, ZenBook. So the thing that I've always found weak on the ZenBooks are the keyboard because they flex a little too much. But they always have been really nice, nicely made laptops too. So as you know, what's special about this new ZenBook S they announced at CS? Interestingly, I figured they only announced a ZenBook a year and we'd see it at Computex again. But here we're at CS and they launched another ZenBook. S and the ZenBook S just to place it in your mind is like that MateBook, the first MateBook from Huawei they made, which is basically purely a MacBook 12 inch competitor, super thin, super light, um, but more better specs, right? Like these are Core i5, Core i7s, I think they are not fanless or anything like that. And what's cool about this thing, um, but where the way it stands out is that it's even less bezel than the Huawei MateBook. X Pro that we talked about before. So this thing is like, I don't, th you saw a picture, right? It's, mm. it's insane. If you see it in person, you're like, there, this all display, like it's, you cannot see a bezel almost. Yeah, and because slow. of that, uh, you know, they didn't know where to put the camera and you, you know, Dell puts it down on the XPS 13 there down below the screen and it kind of looks ugly. Mostly it looks, makes you look ugly, uh, as you very well know. And then, you know, others have you don't tried. You really want a camera that's looking up your nose, you know, do you? Right, and, other, and we've talked about it already. <laughs> the, the Huawei Mate 10 Pro, Mate X Pro, sorry, MateBook X Pro had it, had it in the function key, which has the same problem it's as a, the XPS. Similar challenge, yeah. 
And so these guys, what they did with the ZenBook S is they have a tiny little raised section that's about a third of the width of the screen in the middle of the above the top bezel where the camera is hidden. I really like that approach. I and think it when you close great. the lid, that little lip is basically the stuff, the one you catch to open the laptop right. with one finger. So, so ra rather than, you know, like in the MacBook, you've got a little notch out of the bottom it's to, to create that effect. Yeah, it means you don't have to have the notch out of the bottom. You've if got you the think notch about it, it's out. a reverse notch. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, like if you looked at an iPhone, they, they did the reverse of that. <laughs> um, but in, then, a, in a very subtle way too, because it's not, it's not super, uh, you know, it, does, it, does, it doesn't look bad at all. I think it works, no. works very well from a design perspective. It's very interesting how, uh, how subtle it is. At first, you don't even notice. And then you look at it and you're like, oh, and when you open and you see the bezel, you're like, oh, I see what they did here. And I mean, everything else about it looked pretty much like a carbon copy of what I saw at Computex on the model that they that I have. Um, but there are some drawbacks. So you, you can't have your cake and eat it too, unfortunately. So the thing that where I was like, wah, 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 you know, sad trombone was <laughs> during the, the briefing was the, the ZenBook S, that model with that little bezel is it. So it's pretty impressive. It's a, a almost 14 inch, 13.9 inch display in a 12 inch form factor, right? Wow. But it's 1080p only, no 2K or 4K here. And this the other sad trombone is no touchscreen. So if you're used to a Windows 10 where you reach for your screen, this is not the laptop for you. And that's also why they're keeping the model from before, the one I have, that has the 4K option and the touchscreen option, I think, uh, available. And maybe with an HGN refresh. The, the ZenBook S and... Um, and the previously mentioned Huawei MateBook 13, both H Gen, obviously Core i5, Core mm -hmm. i7. Uh, might be, I'm not sure there's a Core i3 option. I think these are kind of higher end anyway, so like they're not going to go for that. And then, you know, switching to the next thing that Asus did, which is related, is, you know, so far they've had the Vivo book at the low end and the Zen, and the Zen book at the high end. And then, you know, and there's some crossover. There's some lower end Zen books that fall on the same kind of price point as some higher end Vivo books. But they've introduced a new line at CS this year called the Studio Book. And the Studio Book is, Studio Book S is called. That thing is like basically a, a you know, video editing, creative powerhouse's dream. It is not a gaming laptop, not as heavy and big and bulky and, you know, edgy looking as a gaming laptop. Like a lot of the creatives I know, a lot of the people um, that are YouTubers that I know, um, are, if they don't use Final Cut Pro on the Mac book, and don't lug around a MacBook Pro 15 for video editing, they lug around a Razer 15-inch laptop, a gaming laptop, essentially, because they want the, the performance of Premiere on that. Yeah, that And so would, that I think that's off. kind of the audience that the studio book mm. is addressing. It's a 17-inch laptop that fits in a 15, you know, that, that fits in, in size form factor of a 15-inch MacBook Pro. And it has... You know, it's the ten. It's the same aspect ratio as a Mac, a 10, 10 to nineteen to 16, 1610 instead of sixteen mm -hmm. nine. So you can fit more vertically, which I like a lot. And you get, uh, you know, big keyboard, big trackpad. The trackpad has a, is is has a numpad built in. Yeah, that's so it's interesting. I haven't seen that before. It's a hybrid between the touchpad they did. What was it called? Oh. 
display pad or screen pad. They, they did a laptop at, at Computex uh, last year that had um, a trackpad that was a screen. So you could click on it just and use it like a normal oh, trackpad, yeah, but yeah. you could run its own apps on there and you yeah. could like use it as a dual display. You could even do display mirroring and display like, uh, you know, having a second display in Windows. And so this is kind of like a hybrid of that. It just basically pre-etched in the keyboard a, a thing that lights up with backlight and that's a numpad. Yeah. And you can turn it on and off. So if you want to yeah. like, you know, it's interesting. Um but what's really interesting is the specs. This has like a, some kind of crazy Radeon, like, you know, or whatever it is, uh, video card, uh, discrete, of course, with discrete cooling, which, as you know, is super critical. And it has uh, like all the ports in the universe. And then it has uh, a Xeon, up to a Xeon uh, mobile processor from Intel, which, as we know, is like, to me, it feels like complete overkill. Up to four terabyte SSD. What was what's gigs the Radeon? Sixty four. What Radeon card is this? Uh, it's an Nvidia Quadro P thirty two hundred. So it's not a Radeon. So, so, so it's a Quadro. That's yeah. What I meant. So it's 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 at that sort of. Um, so it's that level. It's business, like this uh, end of things. Yeah. And so and it doesn't look quite as ugly and bulky and it's not quite as heavy as a gaming laptop and it does it does run on battery for a finite amount of time which is cool. Um, Related to that, they they had way more stuff. They also had like one of the new Zephyrus, uh, a Republic of Gamers ROG hmm. uh, gaming laptops that they talked about. And I don't want to talk about it too much other than one cool thing they did. They had dual AC adapters. One is a majorly large power brick to play games with it. Okay. And you have to use that if you want to use the crazy... You know, you NVIDIA card in the there and, and full on all the graphics, assuming you're going to be playing games at home or at yeah, your office yeah. or some fixed location that you can plug in. And if you don't want to do that, if you just want to do lightweight work, they have a USB type C 65 watt small adapter that the, that charges the battery and use, lets the laptop run as long as you don't run the discrete graphics. Cool. It's the best of both worlds. I thought that was really clever. Yeah. You pack yeah. the little USB-C thing with you when you go on the go and then you maybe keep a, a big powerful charger at the office and a big powerful charger at home to play games. Yeah, that's, that's a um, good approach. What, one, th one thing with the, uh, the studio book is, is that it looks like it looks like a you know really nicely designed laptop, and this is yeah I guess really a trend we've been seeing for a num a number of years. Um, you know that Windows laptops are, are you know finally actually look nice. It used to be that if you wanted a good looking laptop, you had to buy a MacBook, right? Yeah, there was no no other option. But the last few years, we've really seen that changing, and and you know I think ASUS have had a you know have had their part to play in that. Uh, obviously, Microsoft with um, you know the Surface uh, line as well as has, has helped in that journey. Yeah, I, I'm really happy. I mean, I think ASUS has been a big part of that. Remember when, the, you know, after the MacBook Air was launched, just within weeks or even months, I think it was weeks of the MacBook Air, the the not the very original, but the the one that we're all familiar with today. You know, the 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 wedge shaped MacBook Air. Mm -hmm. They came in two sizes, eleven and thirteen. When that was launched, 
the that that's also roughly after around the time that Intel came out with Ultrabook concept. That's and right. Everybody jumped on board. And if you remember, this was I remember this so clearly back then. The first Ultrabook ever made was from ASUS. It was the original ZenBook, and they were the first to really take that that you know industrial design that Apple had brought to the table and and iterate on it and and kind of create their own style, right? They have the, they still have that that round circular brushed finish on top That's of their right. lids. Like yeah. they still yeah. have that. Yeah. And that was introduced with the original Zen book. And so, mm. you know, if anybody's really paid attention to laptop design, I feel, uh, other than Apple, of course, in the early days of the Ultrabook, it was mm. it was ASUS. And then yeah. obviously uh, Microsoft has done that. I think Acer's fault. I think everybody's. I mean, well, everybody's I, jumped on board now, right? Yeah, I feel like yeah. Dell in the last few years, the XPS 13. I mean, it's not my thing, but I can understand why people are buying it. It's a really good looking laptop. Um, and, you know. Well, let's face it, a lot of people aren't looking at what the specifications are. They're looking at whether they like the design of the, yeah. of the laptop. And, that and, looks nice. I'll buy it. And as you said earlier, when we talk about the Matebooks from Huawei, I mean, Dell, you know, you're going to have to support you on. If you're a business customer and you buy a Dell laptop, you know, you're not going to be without a laptop for more than like five minutes, basically, if it goes bad, right? Because they have these crazy service plans. They'll come to your house and whatever, right? Or to your office. I don't see an individual paying for these kind of plans. And I mean, Apple has very good a very good setup too, but you still need to go to an Apple store to really benefit from it with Apple Care. Yeah, unfortunately, in, in, in New Zealand, we don't get, uh, well, we don't have any, any Apple stores and... Uh, yeah, there's no on-site for um, for yeah most most of the uh, well for Apple and then you know most of these other sort of non uh, you know mainstream business brands. So uh, yeah. you, do, you do miss out. I mean, even you know I guess with products like um, you know the Apple products and the Surface products, most of those have to go back to base, and I mean they're, they're not repairable anyway. So you're basically getting a replacement. Yeah, and and so anyway, so the and the last thing that caught my eye to Seuss was I, I mentioned there was that Zephyrus gaming laptop that actually had the dual AC adapter, so that was cool. But that you know it's just another it's just another Nvidia based like gaming laptop. But then they showed us this Republic of Gamers mothership laptop two in one, and I'm going to quote myself because I've been doing this on the podcast lately, <laughs> and it's kind of delightful because it's so narcissistic. I, I, I read this on. Uh, um, I think it went up on Facebook. Right? Yeah, no, it was on. Yeah. Uh, it was on Facebook too, but yeah. uh, mostly I think a lot of people are looking at my Instagram. Uh, here's my description of this product. One day a Surface, a Surface computer from uh, from Microsoft, and a gaming laptop got frisky, and out came the Asus. ROG Mothership 2-in-1 Mobile Gaming Workstation thingy. Very cool. And so if you look at my Instagram, you'll see that thing. And it, it's hard to describe it because when it's closed, it looks like a really heavy, bulky, not super bulky like in the old days, but modern bulky, like about an inch thick, mm -hmm. all metal, aluminum, like super heavy duty gaming laptop. And it weighs the part. I swear the thing weighs 12 pounds or something. Yeah, well, that, this was and one of the aspects I was curious about. With it. It's heavy. Yeah. 10 pounds. There you go. It says yeah. 10 pounds on, on the vert. So, so my point is that the thing is heavy and it's not really designed to be a laptop replacement. And, and it all makes sense when you prop it up and a little kickstand comes out of it, just like a Surface. 
and then you can you, you can you know open the lid like a laptop but then you quickly realize that the lid is detachable but it's not a soft cover like a surface would be it's a it's a hard cover and the cover itself that contains the, the keyboard and trackpad falls on itself once detached to create what looks just basically like a wireless keyboard with built-in trackpad and so you can use this thing with the keyboard attached or the keyboard detached wirelessly with the keyboard detached or there's a USB-C port in the back when it's detached that you can plug into the USB-C so that you have lower latency if you're gaming oh okay yeah and yeah. of course you have the option of plugging your own keyboard and or your uh, wireless or wired so this is really interesting because like I think the way they're positioning this thing is if you're a hardcore gamer but you travel maybe you go to competitions like LAN parties or whatever kids do these days get off my lawn you know because <laughs> I don't know like, I, honestly I have no idea I know the esports are huge and people get together in these rooms and they fight yeah, each other to the yeah. dead and and I mean imagine you do this a lot in the old days you'd have to lug this heavy laptop with a big power supply now you got this thing still, and it's still it, somewhat heavy four yeah, and but, a half but kilos my point pounds. is it's, it's like you you now have like essentially almost a desktop level mm, grade mm, workstation mm. style uh, gaming laptop in front of you. The display on this thing is only 1080p, 17 inches. But get this, 144 hertz refresh rate, three millisecond response time. Um, it's fast. That display is perfect for gaming. So it's just interesting. You know what cool. else it has? It has three 512 gig SSDs in it. Yeah. No, but here's here's it gets crazier than that. So it's discrete G NVIDIA. And they run graphics. those together on RAID 0, so you're getting Exactly. You're getting so, 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 no, no, wait, I'll get to that. The, of course, there's an NVIDIA card with its own cooling, so it doesn't, you know, the CPU cooling doesn't affect the GPU cooling, vice versa. But here's what killed me. Like, I was like, oh, my God, overkill, overkill, overkill. Three 512 um, gig SSDs, two of them directly connected to the CPU with their own bus not relying on the chipset from Intel to be connected. The third one is on the chipset, like as PCIe, X, whatever it is. Mm. It's insane. And you can raid two, zero of these two, and then you're like, madness. Um, but interestingly, you know, we talked about the studio book earlier with its Xeon. I thought mm. for sure they threw a Xeon in this. Yeah. No, it's Core i9. So... I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand it, but isn't the Xeon better than a Core i9? Um, I would say the Core i9 is probably um, faster in a lot of cases. And it's going to depend on your, you know, on your use cases. Um, yeah, that would. Be, I mean, but that would that would be my pick. Also, the um, the Xeons tend to come uh, a little bit further down the track, so you know, you get an eight eighth gen. Um, Core i9, and there'll be a little while before there's a Xeon that sort of, you know, I mean, okay, Xeon so, has some other things. So that makes sense then. Uh, but anyway, look, it's really interesting because it really feel like, you know, it's such a unique product, and I think it totally, I can see the market. Like, I can totally see why somebody would, if they're a hardcore gamer, would look at that and, you know, consider that maybe instead or in addition or something to a laptop, gaming laptop. It might not work on your lap. Uh, oh, because wow. it's got a kickstand, yeah, uh, and it's and really I'm, heavy. And I'm not sure about the weight of the, the you know, the, the the keyboard side. So you'd probably want to be putting it on a on a desk or a table. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So that's basically it. I mean, it took us oh, a while. Oh, by the way, with- the keyboard looks really cool. All the lighting, like, you know, like we're used to with a lot of the gaming machines, they light up. Well, this you can't see inside and see the fans and things going, but... Um, you know, lot, lots of lots of slick sort of colours, and I presume customise. Uh, oh yeah, A-shirt I think with, it has with, indiv- with the keyboard, the trackpad. You can individual you know, RGB on each on each key. Line I believe, it all, yeah. all up. So yeah, yeah I mean, cool. and you know, and this basically wraps up the whole ASUS Republic of Gamers and ASUS non Republic of Gamer announcements. The ZenBook S ultra portable laptop, the Studio Book S, uh, you know, workstation grade, like video at creator's dream, and this weird, crazy gaming laptop two-in-one workstation thing. And, you know, I, I was really surprised because, you know, was, I wasn't expecting that much from ASUS for CS, honestly. So, I mean, you know, CS is not a phone show. I mean, like, if you came here to the show, my dear listeners, for phone news, it's going to be dire. There's a bit I talked about Alcatel. There's more coming later in the week that I can't talk about it yet because I'm hoping to have a second show on Thursday night with a bunch of uh, my media journalist YouTuber friends. So stay tuned for another show hopefully this week. But what I'm saying is that, you know, I hope we're not boring you to death with the laptops, but that's really all we have to talk about. There's a few phone things I want to talk about at the end, though. But I think we should switch gears because you probably have more to say about this. It's televisions. And LG and Samsung both showed some really cool TVs. I mean, that's not really my thing because mobile tech podcasts, but at the same time, New Zealand tech podcasts. So let's uh, let's get that going. Yeah, well, look, um, we certainly expect CES to be the show for TVs. And I, I remember uh, one year and uh, I was interviewed, I did a TV interview around uh, a Samsung TV and I sort of slated it a little bit and... Um, more from the perspective of talking to your sort of a mainstream, you know, typical audience, um, there's only a small percentage of people that really are super interested in the top end TVs. Right. But for those that are, CES is the place to come. Oh, yeah. This is where all the announcements. I mean, this is where 4K launched years back. This is where 3D TVs launched years back. And I think this year is 8K. This is the year of 8K because, I mean, 8K, look, five years ago, I saw a Sharp 8K TV at the Sharp booth and it blew my mind. It was massive too. It was like 120 inches or something. But my point is, it's like, this is like was pie in the sky like you know hundred thousand dollar one-off tv yeah we, we we keep seeing it for years and years this and years. is a year where they announced both lg and samsung 8k tvs you can buy in fact samsung i wouldn't say had the audacity but almost want to say they had the audacity of saying available for pre-order today yeah yeah they did say it yeah but i mean i don't think it's that audacious but it's interesting yeah well the th- the thing around um 8k is who needs 8K, right? And if we roll back a few years, maybe the five years you're talking, five years ago you're talking about, you know, it was only that stage. Yes, we could see 8K being shown off at CES, but 4K was still, you know, that was a big purchase. Yes. Uh, that was really just just starting out. 
And we were questioning, do we need 4K TVs at that stage? Do we really need 4K TVs? <laughs> and, you know, I remember at that stage myself, I've, you know, always been quite a fan of projectors. It seems to, you know, create a more cinematic experience and so on. And, you know, I felt that my full HD uh, projector gave me a good result and, you know, look, I'm not really seeing, you know, I'm, I'm not noticing the pixels there. It looks good. Do we, you know, do we, do we need any more? But I think, you know, anyone who's gone to a 4K screen knows, knows yeah. the difference. And so, you know, I've been pondering, do, well, do we need, do we need 8K? Are we going to recognize the difference? And I guess what, uh, what I've been hearing about over the last, last couple of days is, well, you really notice 4K, even in a, you know, even in a laptop screen and quite a small screen, certainly notice in TVs of a whole range of sizes. But as we start getting to TVs of bigger and bigger sizes and the, the, yeah. you know, the average size TVs that we buy mm -hmm. is just going up every, every, every single year. Uh, and so they're talking around the sort of 65 inch size and up. That's where it's going to be, you know, it's really going to make a difference in terms of the viewing experience jumping to 8K. Now, we do have a little problem and there's no genuine 8K content. Yeah, so, but we uh, had that with 4K, remember? Yeah. I mean, there was no 4K content for a long time. And there still isn't much from a broadcast perspective. It's very much being delivered through the likes of, uh, you know, Netflix uh, Amazon, uh, yeah. you know, Prime Video, and 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 so on, um, and and of course uh, you can get 4K Blu-ray as as well. Uh, but look, it, it, it seems like um, yep, yeah, 8K is what we will uh, what we will start seeing, and it won't be uh, uh, you know too many years before it's before it's the norm. But you've got to be on the cutting edge if you're going to be buying into it uh, right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's going to be expensive for a while, but I'm excited that it's actually products that you can buy as a consumer, right? Mm -hmm. If you're very rich, go nuts. <laughs> Enjoy it while you can, you know. And we all and have we all have different preferences, right? You know, yes. for, for me personally, that's not what I'm lining up to right. buy, but I know other people who, you know, they want the new 8K OLED from LG and they will you know, they will do whatever it takes to make sure that uh, uh, that they get one. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think, it, you know, it's pretty pretty exciting that, um, you know, LG have got that 8K uh, OLED, yeah. uh, Samsung, of course, with uh, with theirs now. They have a Q, they, they launch a QLED. QLED, which is their uh, sort of variation yeah. on, on um, I think OLED. It's, I'm um, not sure is if it's OLED or LCD. It, it is OLED. It's OLED, right? It is OLED. Yeah, yeah, so they have their QLED, and it was a large one, like an 80 inch or something, 8K. Um, but what I thought was really cool was a couple of things I saw from both Samsung and uh and LG, the first thing was LG made a, last year they showed a prototype TV that rolled, the screen rolled out of a pedestal and rolled back into it. Like you can't see the roll of, of, of the screen when it's rolled up because it's inside the box, but you basically have a box sitting there that has a speaker and the sound bar in it. And then you push a button and it, it just kind of, there's a slit and the screen kind of raises out of the slit vertically and kind of sits there and you can have different aspect ratios, right? You can mm -hmm. have mm -hmm. 21 by nine, you can have, you know, 18 by nine, 16 by nine, whatever aspect ratio you want really to suit the content. So I don't, th I think it tops off at 69. I, I like this because I don't like having screens around right. the place. I prefer exactly. there were no screens 
And, and, and again, that, that you know, back I don't to think my, it does four by three, but I think it would be cool if it did for legacy content. Yeah, yeah. That way you never have black borders on anything you watch. Um, and the cool thing is there's a mode where it retracts in a very, like just a sliver of it stills out, like maybe, uh, you know, 20 centimeters of it. Mm, mm. Uh, maybe, you know, like whether the five inches, four inches. Mm. And what it is, is it's just an ambient display. It shows the temperature, whatever song you're listening to on the speaker system. Right, because um, the bass that it rolls into is a, yes, because is a it, it just system, Because right? it just rolls out a little bit just yeah. to show you that ambient information. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously going to be, they didn't say pricing, is going to be ridiculously expensive. But the effect, like, and it's so much smoother and better looking than what they showed last year. Like it's amazing to me that in a year we didn't just go from prototype to commercial product, but we went from prototype that looked okay to commercial product that looks phenomenal. Mm. So like they've worked really hard on this and it's called the Signature R OLED TV. And it, as I said, I think the best way of describing these kind of TVs is a roll up TV because even though it technically rolls out upward and then it rolls back in inward really it's you know the screen is rolling itself up mm. inside the container into yeah, the box. Yeah. and the box has like atmos adobe atmos and a whole bunch of other stuff and you'd it, certainly you know, expect them to pull out all the hdr10 and like i mean it, it's yeah. it's it's just magnificent yeah, yeah um and it comes in different sizes i can't remember the exact the diagonal size on that um but that was cool and then conversely samsung not wanting to be outdone came out with a 75 inch micro led tv and now i don't know if you remember last year at cs micro led was the big wow thing that samsung showed and if you don't know what we're talking about is you know when you go to like a concert or some sort of venue and you see those giant screens and you maybe you're near one of them and you can see the pixels you can see the pixels right because they're individually lit up they're they're individual individual rgb leds yeah and you can see the array of them and Mm. and if you go further away it blurs into a nice high resolution display but as you're close you see them and it's so so bright right and so micro led is that concept but shrunk down to a size where the pixels are so small that you might not see them when you're close up. So a 75 inch 4K micro LED TV from Samsung means that you can now have a TV that has all the advantages of OLED, the incredible brightness, the incredible contrast ratio, the ink deep blacks. Because they can know, turn off the pixel the entirely. Perfect right? whites. Yeah but never wears out and never burns in that is what micro led brings to the table and that's why micro led has been such a big deal but last year was more sold as as a kind of like again prototype and more like commercial application you have a wall you want to create um and not as not in the sense of the wall at the big spectacle but like something much higher resolution that's closer range but now they're literally saying we're making these TVs for consumers in a modular format. You can create the size you want with the resolution you want. So you want to go 8K? You can. You just add modules. Of course, the screen gets really big, but it's insane. It's really cool. I think even I, who doesn't really care too much about TVs, as you can tell, right now on the show, I'm getting really excited about it. But you probably wouldn't trade your Tesla for one, would you? Uh, no, no, <laughs> no, because you know what? The reality is this, as you talked about projectors, you know, Theo and I have a 
1080p Optoma projector that we're very happy with. Mm. And that's what we watch our content, which is streamed off of, you know, many streaming services through an Apple TV. And it's perfect. You know, we don't really own a television. The biggest monitor I have until I switch up to my 80 in whatever 85 90 inch uh, per, you know roll down screen with the projector is a 27 inch iMac now you you just touched on something there <laughs> there's a big gap uh, there between 27 inches and then 80 90 yeah, inches of yeah. my projector yeah that's um i mean it, it's just a, it's a huge huge difference um but you touched on the apple tv now ces is a place where right. All Let's the news has come that. out yeah. around Apple partnering up with the TV manufacturers. And, and that was going to be my second thing that yeah. I was going to bring up about Samsung and LG. So this is interesting, though, that from uh, Sony, LG, Samsung, Samsung who else have we got? Hisense, I think. There's, there's a bunch I of them. Go, I mean, it, it just looks as I didn't though go to the press conference. Miracast, which has become you know standard in any sort of smart type of TV, now will be augmented um, by AirPlay 2. So yeah. what you've been TVs able to do also from have Chromecast built in and too. Chromecast, yeah. yeah. So so what you can do with your Android device in terms of putting you know putting things up onto your TV, now that will work from an iPad or an iPhone or an Android or a, phone with the right app. Believe it or not, I do it all the time. Uh, I, oh, okay. I, cast, yeah, yeah. I cast from my Android apps, Android phones to an Apple TV. Right, right. So, so here's the thing, like, you know, so there's two levels of that though, right? One level is those, so LG has announced, for example, that every single one of the new TVs for 2019 is AirPlay casting support. So meaning mm. it can be a sync, mm. can mm. receive AirPlay casts, you know? So that means you can send audio and video or both to a LG TV without having an Apple TV. Or just right. have a look at your photos, whatever. Right, whatever it is. And that's a big, big deal because Apple probably has the most solid casting standard there is out there. It's the most reliable. It's the nicest quality. It's really, really, they've done a, they've done a special job. I have to admit that I wish all my devices had AirPlay, even though I'm not a big, huge fan of Apple iOS devices. Reliability-wise, AirPlay seems so solid. much better so than, than better than Wi-Fi Direct or Miracast or like back, what was the other thing? D DLNA, remember that back in the day? Anyway, the point is that there's another level. So Samsung's doing the same thing. You can cast AirPlay to their new TVs, but they went one step beyond. And this is kind of blowing my mind. And we need to talk about this, especially with the context within the context of last week's Apple announcement uh, of, 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 you know, uh, uh, different guidance, lower, worse guidance in terms of their financials, right? The thing that Samsung's that they're letting Samsung do that Apple seems okay with and Samsung is doing is a level two where you can watch Apple TV, Apple iTunes content on a Samsung TV without an Apple TV. Now it's not the U the UX, the UI is not Apple's UI, which is even weirder because Apple never gives up on their user experience. So what you're gonna be able to do is you're gonna be able to log in to your Apple account, as what I presume, on a Samsung TV and any content you have sitting in your iTunes queue of movies, TV shows, music, you'll be able to stream um, to the directly to the Samsung TV without an Apple TV and with their own UI like is the world collapsing around us Paul what do you think here 
Well, so there, there's something wrong because, you know, I think we're, <laughs> we're, 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 the universe we're, is fully we're, we're told itself. by uh, uh, Walter Isaacson that, uh, um, you know, Apple were going to be releasing actually a, you know, a, a TV, but that, you know, that was years ago and it, you know, never happened. Uh, you know, all we've had is the Apple TV box. And because Apple haven't gone down that track, then I think, you know, this is an absolute, you know, necessity for, for, the, for them. I don't think that they make a huge amount of money out of selling their Apple uh, Apple TV box, uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I don't see it is a surprise. It is a surprise because this is not what we're used to from Apple. But I think there's something changing within Apple, and and you know maybe they're they're you know taking something out of. Uh, uh, Microsoft's book. I'm, you know, I'm not quite sure. I'm trying to get my head around exactly what's going on. Well, I have but, an idea. You know, there's, uh, there, there's, there's definitely a, a change of foot here. I have an idea. So the first thing is, I'm not surprised about the AirPlay part. The AirPlay part makes perfect sense to me, because it's not the first time that AirPlay device exists. Kenwood makes receivers with AirPlay. You know, so does Pioneer. Like that's not that weird. So that I was like, awesome. Let's. I want every TV to have AirPlay on. But AirPlay in the past has just been audio. That's what I'm saying. No, yeah. no, it's also been video in some cases. But the point is that it it's not being streaming Apple TV content mm. directly mm. to the device. That's that's what Samsung worked out with them. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of blowing my mind because that means you're not selling an Apple TV Apple, and you're not you're giving up on the user like you're giving up the control over the user experience, which is something you tightly control. So I have a theory, and the theory is this: is that obviously Apple has seen that they're you know, profits were going down with the phones and their guidance, uh, you know, was going to have to be uh, updated for the investors, which is what Tim Cook did at the end of 2018, just before the end of the year. Or was it the beginning of 2019 now? Uh, the beginning of the year. Yeah, think, beginning. Yeah. So it was, yeah. okay. The point is that they obviously have been seeing this happening and have been trying to come up with solutions and mitigate, you know, and, and adjust, right? I mean, a company... With a leader that's smart, I think they're they've been on top of it. They they have a strategy, and I think a lot of that strategy is you know they're not going to abandon hardware. This is not Apple. They're not going to do that, but I think that they're also diversifying and they've been pushing really hard on services, right? And so, if you buy Apple TV service and you watch it on a Samsung TV, maybe it's still beneficial to them. And clearly they seem to be okay with that. And I think that's kind of where we're going. And so the next big discussion is more mobile related, but is the whole discussion around iMessage on Android. <laughs> and I just want to bring it up because Dieter Bone at The Verge wrote a really great article about how he thinks that Apple, is not from a business perspective, but from a moral imperative perspective, <laughs> should offer iMessage to Android users, even if it's for pay. So his theory was, what if Apple made iMessages available for a subscription of $4.99 a year to Android users, so that those Android users that have a lot of other friends and their friends in the iMessage ecosystem benefit from the iMessage ecosystem? And perhaps maybe switch to an iPhone. Who knows? But the point is, to me, I I agree with it because and his his approach was this. It was like, look, we live in a day and age. Our regime in this country is trying to destroy our privacy, and our sec and is definitely not understanding and focused on security in any way. Does they don't seem to get it? So they want to spy on us more and more. 
So, you know, iMessage is encrypted and it's hard to, to crack. And Apple has shown over and over again that they're not going to let people access the encrypted stuff, even if they're, you know, terrible people, which, you know, is a moral dilemma, but it's what they do. And I support that. I think that, I think that they have the right idea and that privacy and, and security should be first. And so as such, especially for communication like this. And so... You know, RCS and all these other things are not encrypted. So, you know, WhatsApp is, but, you know, that's Facebook. Do we trust Facebook now? I don't. I mean, <laughs> anyway, so the, the point is, you know, like we live in a very difficult time. And I think this difficult time is making our privacy and security more at risk. And I think Apple has the means to help. And I think it's mostly relevant for the U.S. market. But, you know... People from abroad communicate with U.S. people all the time. I communicate with you all the time. You're in New Zealand. I'm in the U.S. So I think that that's kind of where Dieter was going with this. Like mm -hmm. he was like saying, you know, let's have a moral imperative. Let's make sure that we uh, let give people the option to have that security and privacy, even if they can't afford or don't want to buy an iPhone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the right thing to do. I would actually consider paying for iMessage for $4.99, even though technically I think it the implementation sucks and I don't think they did it right. And I think WhatsApp did it way better, but that's not the point. I think that there's such an investment I message in the people who use it in this country. And it's really much more of a U.S. phenomenon than anywhere else in the world that I think it needs to happen. And so of course, Apple's not going to do it. And Dieter says it himself. He's like, this is pie in the sky, but it's my opinion. And I believe I agree with his opinion. Well, I, we'll, I guess we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see where else Apple changes, but the other thing that they uh, that they just recently announced is uh, Apple Music becoming available not uh, just on Apple uh, devices on yeah. the um, HomePod, uh, but also Amazon Echo. Yes, uh, which, that's so, also so something that there, there, there so, is a change so, of foot here so, with an Apple. So, Something's going on. You're right, and so so this iMessage is distraction that I just went through, just because I thought Dieter wrote a really great story, and I agree with it. But the whole point of what I'm trying to get to here is that all of this tells me that Apple's potentially putting more focus on its services and trying to benefit financially from them without necessarily relying on their own hardware. And I think it's actually very clever because it sends a message to the investors. Mm. And that's what they want to hear. They're like, mm. services is the future. Well, here are your, here's what we're doing about that, right? Mm. And I think that's very clever. And maybe that's, you know, maybe that's kind of like a smart strategy on Apple's part. I don't know if the stock went up today. Did you well, just check? Well, no, I was actually curious about Spotify's uh, market, uh, market cap because... Um, the you know the the app well Apple Music is you know is just one of Apple's uh, one of Apple's services, but they're they're doing uh, and I haven't seen the you know the very latest figures, uh, but my recollection was that you know they're not too far off Spotify in terms of their uh, in terms of their numbers and maybe they're even past Spotify. Uh, now, in terms of you know number of subscriptions and so on, but they're doing very very strongly. So interesting, uh, you know, Apple are doing very very well out of their services, and you know when you look at this sort of you know breakdown, yes, you know the iPhone is is uh, is still a lion's share of their uh, um, their profits, but 
services are becoming a, a bigger and bigger chunk. So, you know, from, from their perspective over time, if they can't necessarily have everyone on an iPhone, which we know that they can't, uh, then they, they still want people to be using uh, using their services. So uh, what have we got? Market cap of um, 21 billion uh, US dollars for uh, for Spotify. So, um, you know, that that that's just one small piece of what they're doing, a business that they didn't have five years ago. And they built that into, if you broke it out, you know, I would imagine, you know, probably somewhat similar valuation to uh, uh, to Spotify. So, yeah, I think they're uh, they're heading in the right direction in terms of uh, building their business on uh, on services. Yeah. Cool. So listen, um, we're starting to run out of time a little bit, but there's three more topics I want to really hit on quickly that are actually phone related. So they matter a lot to my audience. And these are three devices we saw at CS. Um, and they're not new. I want to make that clear so I don't get too excited. Uh, well, one of them is potentially new. So the three devices are the Planet Computer's Cosmo Communicator, um, which was not announced at CS. It was announced before, but it really got its kind of homecoming here this week, particularly yesterday at CS Unveiled. Then there is um, the Pundi X phone, which is a blockchain phone. That was definitely new for CS. And then there is the Royal Flex Pi, Flex Pi, sorry, that was announced around the same time, just a week or so, or a few days before Samsung showed their first uh, folding prototype at the developer conference in October, November, 2018. So, uh, of course, the Royal Flex Pi is not new, but my point is this is, again, a big homecoming because it was only shown, I think, at MWC Shanghai or some someplace in Asia where, um, you know, I didn't really get that much, you know, eyeballs other than some a few journalists, right? So here, obviously, it was at uh, Pepcom tonight. And again, mostly journalists, but I think it's CS. So, they probably have a booth somewhere or they're meeting with people and it's going to be seen more. And also I have to say that compared to the videos I saw of the device they showed in October, November, this one was much better. There was no waviness on the OLED flexible mm -hmm. panel. Okay. So just to fill you in quickly on these three phones, the Royal, let's start with the Royal Flex Pal, uh, Flex Pi. So that is basically, it kind of looks the size of a passport, okay. you know, yep. but thicker. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And when it's folded up, and then it it's a flex, it's a folding, foldable, whatever you want to call it. Folding. So it's a reasonably big phone to start with. Yeah, it's a folding or foldable phone, if you want to call it that, that the form factor when shot is the same outline as a passport. Uh, probably about an inch thick, though, because it doesn't fold perfectly flat at the edge, right? It's got a curve there. And it doesn't fold with the display inside the, sh the clamshell. The display is on the outside of the clamshell when it's folded. So you basically have... A display in the front and a place in the back that are touched together through the hinge on the side. Um, and then if you expand it, it turns into basically what looks like a tablet, like you unfold it. It looks like a tablet that's 7.5 inches, I think, um, 1920 by 1440p. Um, and then spec-wise, it's basically flagship specs, you know, Snapdragon 8 series, 800 series, we don't know which one, uh, like large amounts of RAM, large amounts of storage. 
uh, all all the you know big battery big you know, fa fancy dual camera blah 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 so obviously they didn't you know this this is available for developers at this point not for the general public although that's going to start soon and at that point they'll reveal the real specs but i can somehow say paul and this is a super exciting part that i've touched a folding or foldable phone and it's a complete gimmick but it didn't suck you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't think you need that. Well, I don't you, think you showed me probably this time around this time last year, maybe December last year, another folding phone, but it had two separate yeah, had screens two, rather than yeah, actually exactly. a completely flexible That was the screen. ZT Axon M. That's and what. I took it to CS with me last year. Yeah. So I think what I'm saying here is like, again, the gimmick factor is there. It's cool. If you're a nerd, you're going to love it, early adopter. But it's going to be really expensive. We're looking at something like $1,400. And more importantly, you know, if it's in tablet mode, like expanded open, it's a very large display. It's nice, 7.5 inches, but is it? it's not that much bigger than like a 6.5 inch smartphone, number one. Number two, none of the apps are optimized for tablet. Remember, Android sucks at being a tablet OS. <laughs> like there's no good tablet use for Android. Like I think people who buy an Android tablet, unless they're buying like a Kindle Fire and consuming content on it, like they're making a terrible mistake i think they should buy an ipad honestly so you know do you need it no do you want it yeah maybe because as i said it's very gimmicky but very very cool yeah i haven't quite picked out uh yeah picked out the use cases for it yet i did see something interesting in terms of it being dual sim that you can uh, have uh, one sim card assigned to one side uh, while it's folded and one SIM card assigned uh, to the other side. So, uh, you know, when it when it rings, maybe a different t tone or something on each side uh, determines which way around you uh, uh, spin the phone or something. Um, yeah, very interesting. You, I'm sure there will be. You can't try will. to fold it the other way. It'll actually it'll physically break. So, <laughs> yeah. There will be some, uh, you know, there will be some use cases for people that are going to, uh, you know, to get some particular benefit out of it. But I'm not sure that this is, uh, you know, anywhere near mainstream anytime soon. I'm, I'm curious what Samsung will do with their with their take on it, and we'll see that during the year. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to find out. Um, so the other two phones, really quickly before we wrap up. Um, the so the Pondi X phone is uh, there's two things going for it. It's a blockchain phone. I've heard that so many times, and it's it's kind of silly, right? But the other thing that's interesting about it is that it is uh, industrial design was really interesting. It's very angular, kind of like a razor phone, but it's got the edges are cut at weird like angles. So it's mm. not like perfectly rectangular, rectangular. It's like more like a parallelogram phone. And it's matte white, which is a total fingerprint magnet. Every phone they showed me was disgusting. And I, I was like, seriously, guys, like just get some wipes and clean this thing before you hand it to a journalist. Like, you know how some small companies, they just don't know how to like, put a good public image out there i wish that they would just learn it's kind of weird to me that they don't even think of that anyway um so in terms of specs kind of like a flagshipy level phone and it looks about the normal size and shape of other than the design being very unique uh and the color and this white matte white but what's really cool is if you slide uh, if you're on the main screen where you see like all the google play services app and facebook and whatever else like the normal android experience um which is as we know not super secure and not super private um, if you are, that's on that home screen and you swipe from the edge to the... Well, hold on. They're not super secure and private? No. 
Sorry. No, it's, it's not like an iPhone where it's a lot more safe and secure and not private. We're um, talking about Android. Of course. So if you slide from the left edge to the right of the to, to the right on the screen, what happens is you it switches to another mode where the whole like the whole industrial like visual design changes to a black and white that kind of matches the color of the white phone. It's really cool. And in that mode, you're kind of like in a private privacy and security enforced mode where everything that happens in that mode is not visible by the other half and not visible by potential hackers, spoofers, whatever. And so there's a blockchain wallet, there's a messaging app that lets you, you know, have very highly encrypted secure messaging, secure phone calls as well. Um, very, very interesting. And um, I liked it for, two, for a couple of things. Number one, it's in really unique design. And number two, uh, it's just like, it's the best implementation I've seen so far of blockchain phone because all the blockchain phones try to like, you know, either they send blocks the blockchain in this weird le level that's inside, like kind of what Samsung does with Knox in a way. And it kind of works or like BlackBerry does with some of the stuff on the BlackBerry uh, security software. Mm -hmm. um, or they, they don't have that at all. Like they remove like Google Play services because it's more secure that way. And then you can't use it. It's not an Android phone anymore. It's a dumb freaking phone. Like you can't do anything with it. Yeah, I can't yeah. install any apps that are relevant to me. Um, and it may be good for enterprise at that point or good for like for a defense, right? But it's useless for the average user. So this thing is cool because you can switch between the two and, you know, it uses a fingerprint reader in the back if you want to authenticate and stuff. So it's, it's I just think it's it's very clever. And, um, you know, it certainly, yeah, it comes across as, 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 um, yeah, as being quite unique in those regards. I haven't delved into all the aspects of how they secure it and yeah, whether, whether it actually lives up. Obviously, They've certainly got a good story right. to tell, haven't they? I obviously don't know how they're doing <laughs> it. And uh, Function X is kind of the back end uh, kind of like software that, that mm. makes that happen. And also, I uh, just wanted to say, you know, I'm just a sucker for cool form factors. And in the same way as the Royal Flex Pi is this weird folding phone, this is this weird like edgy different design and that's got all that blockchain stuff to it which is really cool mm. and then the third one is more and, like and this one you were quite excited about i could have say which the third one yeah oh yeah well so look look the reality is this if you remember the scion series 5 um kind of communicator pda from the 90s early 90s uh that thing was basically imagine a laptop shrunk down in size to the size of a note 9 roughly in form factor and in surface area a lot of you thicker and it's clamshell you open it and you've got a keyboard with kind of regular keys with the regular key travel but shrunken down in size for mini fingers and then you get a display on the top so it basically looks like a laptop without a trackpad um but shrunken down to the size of the footprint of a note 9 and thicker that was a psion 5 and it was like a pda organizer um you know uh, data bank type device it was very popular it had a huge following it was really cool yeah i um, i remember seeing it in computer magazines and so on i don't remember whether i actually saw one in person i certainly don't don't recall using one but it was it had so much coverage over you know quite a number of years uh you know before right. we moved on to to other things like palm pilots exactly and so and, and scion uh, was the f one of the first companies to use ARM chips. Like this is like when ARM wasn't a thing yet. So anyway, the point I'm trying to to get to here is that there's a company last year, uh, a couple of years ago called G Planet Computers that came out with a product called the Gemini PDA, which is basically they, they took the concept of the Scion 5 and turned it into an Android device. Um, so it's the same clamshell, big 
kind of larger keyboard and six inch screen with full on Android, you know, some MediaTek processor and you call it a day. But because it didn't have it, it, it when it's shut, you can't really see notifications or incoming calls. You know, even though it has LTE and there was a Wi-Fi only version, mind you, but even though it had LTE on some models, it was a bit awkward to use. And so what they showed at at, uh, at CS last night at uh, Unveil is something that I started crowdfunding on Indiegogo a few weeks ago, which is the Gen 2 of this product called not the Gemini PDA, but the Cosmo Communicator. I don't know why they changed the name, but basically they remedied the problems of the first one. The keyboard is a little improved. There's a faster P70 uh, MediaTek chip in there, better RAM, better storage, better specs overall. But more importantly, the top lid that was just a piece of solid metal before, because it's actually made of aluminum on both sides, is now got a little kind of cut out in it with in tiny little OLED display where you can see your notifications and decline and accept calls, a fingerprint reader, which the device didn't have before, and a 24 megapixel, well, is it front or rear facing camera? We're not sure because you can use it either, either way. Yeah. But basically a better photo than, better camera than the basic camera that's inside when you open the clamshell. So look, it's cool. And I don't know, you're at the Indiegogo page right now. What's the pricing for a basic model? Uh, well, they're saying that the re the retail of it will be 800 US, but they're doing it for 569 on uh, on Indiegogo. And honestly, I don't think I would ever pay 800 US for that. That's too much. But 500, whatever they want on Indiegogo right now, if you want to get one of those, you should. Because here's the thing. These guys have shipped their first one. It's not like they're like going to fail at shipping their second one, right? So I'll put a link in the show notes uh, to all of these devices we discussed tonight, uh, obviously. But to keep an eye out on that. Um, Paul, we need to wrap it up, uh, at least from, from my end of things. But I want to quickly give you an opportunity to say where people can find you on the New Zealand Tech Podcast and all that good stuff, your handles. Yeah, so uh, NewZealandTechPodcast.com for anyone that's uh, in in New Zealand and not, not already uh, listening. And the other project I've been working away on that we'll, we'll see a bit uh, more content uh, on this year is the Disruption uh, Playbook. So uh, that's sort of looking at what companies do from a innovation and, and disruption uh, perspective. So uh, I'll be having a, f a few chats here uh, during the week to add to some of the other uh, discussions I've been I've been having. So um, yeah, that's something else to look, look at. Disruptionplaybook.com. Absolutely, and you know where to find me. Those of you listening to the show, uh, it's I'm Tankerl on Twitter and Instagram. That's T N K G R L, like the comic book character Tankerl, but without the vowels because the handle was taken. So if you want to find me on Instagram, you'll see actually uh, if you go to my Instagram and my Facebook today. Sorry, not Facebook. My Instagram and my Twitter, Tanker, all the Twitter handle and Instagram handle, that I have a whole bunch of photos and coverage from CS that were kind of live tweets, basically as I went, um, and some beautiful photos that I took of various various devices that we just discussed. As I get access to them, I'm taking, I'm kind of using Instagram to kind of like immediately document what I'm seeing and then doing YouTube videos as kind of a secondary thing. Um, as you know, the main thing I do is Mobile Tech Podcast, mobiletechpodcast.com. And then you can find then, additional content on Twitter and Facebook and, and Instagram. But more importantly, there's a YouTube channel called the Mobile Tech Podcast channel. And that's uh, at uh, my name is the, is the YouTube handle. So youtube.com slash Miriam Joar, spell out my entire name. Uh, first and last and that will get you unboxings hands-on stuff like that i'm getting some content here of course so go there as well for the for this week um so of course you know uh that's 
you know, subscribe to the YouTube channel, tell your friends, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends. Podcast is on all major platforms, Apple, Google, uh, Overcast, Pocket Casts, uh, even TuneIn Radio. So, you know, there you go. Um, I do want to take a second to thank a sponsor, Audible. Uh, Audible.com is where it's at if you want to listen to books instead of read them for whatever reason. Maybe you're driving or you want to fall asleep on an airplane. Uh, As we both travel a lot, it's kind of nice to have Audible. Are you an Audible customer? Do you use it? I am, yeah. Yeah, there you go. So, so, But if you're listening to this and you're like, I like books, but I don't find time to read them, maybe you should look at listening to books with Audible.com. And uh, there's actually a special deal in the show notes if you go below. Uh, you can sign up for 30 days free trial and you support the podcast in doing so. And the link for that is audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. So I encourage you to check it out. Audible.com, a bunch of really cool people. They're sponsoring the podcast. They're helping us out. And they're really, to me, the definitive platform for audiobooks. So check that out. Uh, so thanks for being on the show, Paul. That was fun. It was all, great. All that was a lot. Out. We had to pack a lot in there. And we got greatly distracted with a bunch of cool stuff that I really love because I love having tangents on the show. So thanks again. Good stuff. Um, we'll be back hopefully later this week with another podcast. I'm planning one. I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. And we'll have kind of the wrap up of CS. So stay tuned for that. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.